If you're looking to enhance your personal or group Bible study, look no further than the Jeremiah Bible Study Series. In each volume, Dr. David Jeremiah helps you understand what the Bible says and how to apply it. Along the way, you will gain insights into the text, identify key themes, and be challenged to apply the truth found in Scripture to your life. Get your copy today. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca slash study. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash study. With his dramatic conversion story and his fearless preaching, the Apostle Paul was widely known and loved. But he also knew the pain of loneliness. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the different kinds of loneliness Paul might have felt. Maybe you or a loved one have felt the same. From Overcoming Loneliness, here's David to introduce today's message, The Lonely Soldier. Well, Paul was a soldier and he was lonely. And we know that because of what he said to his friend Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, 2 Timothy is Paul's swan song. It's the last book that he wrote, the last letter that he wrote. And it was written to Timothy, and he describes his experience in a Roman cell. It's really interesting when you think of it in light of our current discussion. We'll get to it in just a moment. You can find your place in the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy. All the notes and outlines for these studies on loneliness are available in a beautiful study guide designed especially for you, Overcoming Loneliness. It comes with group questions and a leader's guide. And uh, I suggest to you that you use this as a way to have a small group discussion with your friends. If you're the leader, you can get the CD package so you can re-listen to the lessons. Get the study guides for everyone in your group. Um, they're 140 pages, perf-bound. They're beautiful. And your group people will love them because they have questions for them to write in and places to look for additional material. And then you're in business. Just get together and talk about the Word of God. To me, that's what small groups ought to be, more than coming together to share our feelings. Well, that's important and can be a part of it. If all we do is each of us share our feelings, we leave more miserable than when we started. You need some input into that discussion. The input needs to come from the Word of God. That's why we believe uh, these uh, study guides are so valuable because they point you to the Scripture. So why don't you take advantage of that with this subject that is on everybody's lips these days, and that is the subject of loneliness. Uh, one of the things before we get into the Scripture today, we have a book that will counteract the loneliness you may be feeling. It's a beautiful gift book, and it's called God Has Not Forgotten You. It's um, beautifully designed, wonderfully uh, organized, 190 pages, hardcover. It's a great reminder of God's faithfulness during challenging times. We want to send it to you, and we'll do it for a gift of any size to this ministry during the month of August. Simply send your gift and ask for your book. Let's get started with our lesson. For those who give themselves to a life of faith, living wholly for God or committing themselves to the task of evangelism or pastoring a church or perhaps even going to the mission field, the cost of loneliness and the possibility of despair is very seldom computed. 
A lot of things go along with the ministry. Sometimes it's the shortage of cash, the inability to enjoy material things, sometimes the possibility of not providing proper education for your children. That's especially true of missionaries. But I think the biggest test of serving God is the test of loneliness. Or as one missionary put it, to realize that there are no times of applause from anyone, no fitting into the social worlds of the good life at home, never really being a part of people in the normal concourses of life, because, he wrote, being a missionary is, after all, being a breed apart. This is the crushing load of the cross to me, what Jesus surely must have felt many times, what everybody must feel who puts the hand to the plow. This missionary goes on to say that no one thinks of these things at the time of calling or commitment because we feel it is something that God will take care of all by himself. And he does in the end. But these pressures can still bring those moments, those days, those hours of loneliness, and in those times you feel fragile as a human being and even as a servant of God. Another missionary whose name is Hazel wrote similar words when she described her situation by saying that the worst part of it all is that in 20 years of mission service, I could never get close to anybody at home to really call them a friend. People would pray for me, and as they said when my name came up on the church's prayer calendar, but they could not pray for me as somebody that they really knew. On deputation, I never confessed an honest human weakness to anyone. Nobody would listen to that. It was embarrassing to them. She wrote, A life of faith has no human frailties, so everyone assumes, and to admit them is to destroy their ideal image of God dominating human chemistry. So they kept me above all that. They would not allow me to come down to where they were, and I had to be up on some level in order to maintain their trust in me as their missionary. Deputation was often a time of tears for me, and it always has been, she wrote. I desperately wanted people to accept me into their inner circles as a person, not a superhuman frontier warrior. I wanted to cry with them and laugh with them. I wanted to have them do the same things with me. Instead, we met, we talked, we passed each other. I did my act, they applauded, and that was that. Any servant of God, anyone who's been called to a place of leadership, whether it is in the ministry here at home or on the mission field or in some executive position in a large Christian corporation, knows something of what that missionary was verbalizing. For it is part of the baggage of ministry to experience the kinds of loneliness, discouragement, and disappointment that are described by the words of these two veteran missionaries and are supported in 2 Timothy 4. Paul is wrapping things up to Timothy. He's basically said all that he wants to say about ministry. He's looked back into history. He's given him instruction for the present. He's encouraged him to look forward to the day of Christ and the soon appearing of his Savior. But now as he is about to conclude his letter, there are some things that flood in upon his mind that he just must say. Strange, it seems to me, that among those things are a number of items that spell disappointment to the apostle. 
First of all, you cannot miss the fact that there is wrapped up in these closing words something of the disappointment that comes with discomfort. Paul is being held in the infamous Mamertine prison. And so he is exposed to the chill and the damp of its walls. His cell would have been reeking with pestilence and vividly reminding him of the miseries of generations of criminals who had gone before. Paul knew that there would be no escape from this cell apart from his death. He had held his preliminary audience with Caesar, and though he had escaped death at that point, it was just a matter of time. He knew it. Paul had no doubt what the ultimate decision would be. The feeling of the public toward the apostle and those who were near to him was one of hostility. Christians were considered in that time as traitors and those who perpetrated treason against the Roman government. The dark cloud that hung over Paul is summarized in verses 6 and 7 where Paul said, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul knew he was about to die. And tradition has it that Paul was condemned to death and beheaded as a Roman citizen on the Ostian Way. Eusebius, the Christian historian, tells us that Paul and Peter were executed on the same day, Paul by decapitation and Peter by being crucified upside down. And though we cannot validate that, we do know that the words we are reading today were the last words that Paul the Apostle ever wrote on this earth before his death. He was in a miserable situation physically. He was in a Roman cell. He was cold. He was tired. He was discouraged. The words are quite true, that our bodies and our souls live so close together that they catch each other's diseases. And when we are physically down, it is very difficult for us to be spiritually up. Paul was discouraged because of his physical plight, and we'll learn more about that in a few moments. But I want you to notice, secondly, that his disappointment was also due to his detachment from friends. I am convinced that the greatest pain that Paul felt in his cell was not the physical deprivation of that situation. I believe it was the anguish of his soul as he writes to Timothy about his loneliness. All who were in Asia turned against him, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. And now in this text, we learn that Demas has forsaken him, loving this present world. And Crescens has been sent to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia, and Tychicus has been sent to Ephesus, and Alexander the coppersmith has been on a rampage against him, and Erastus has been left in Corinth, and Trophimus got sick at Miletus, and he is gone. And according to verses 16 and 17, all of his friends cower away at his defense. And there is aching loneliness in his words of 4.11 when he says, Only Luke is with me. I can identify with the words of Bishop Hanley Moole, who, when he was writing on this particular text, said, I have often found it difficult to be deliberately at ease when I read these short chapters. I find myself in an experience with mist gathering in my eyes. The writer's heart beats in the writing. You can see his tears fall over the dear past and the harrowing present. Yet in spite of all of this, there is a noble solemnity. Here is a man on his way to death, and that he must say his words now or never suffuses the whole composition. 
One moment he is strong with courage, and the next he is tender as a child when he begs his friend Timothy to try to get there before winter. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that having read this epistle where Paul so strongly encourages Timothy to be bold, and where as we read the words of the text, we can feel the steel fiber in the man Paul, that here in these closing moments we see him in his flesh and blood, a man of like nature and passions with ourselves, Although he has finished the course and he is awaiting his crown, he is still a frail human being with ordinary human needs. And he describes his plight in prison in terms you and I can understand. The disappointment of detachment. Let me hurry on to the third one. The disappointment of defection. Isn't it interesting that Not only have his friends left him, but there's one who gets a little more space in the description than the others. He's a man by the name of Demas, and we read of him here in the fourth chapter. And the Bible says that he forsook Paul because he loved the present world, and he went to Thessalonica. The desertion of Demas is obviously painful to Paul. He was one of Paul's close associates. In fact, in the other two places in the New Testament where Demas is mentioned, he is mentioned in the same verse and in context with Luke, who is the only one who is still with Paul. But now instead of being with Paul, he has defected. I find an interesting contrast in the text. For in verse 8, Paul has been talking about those who love the appearing of Christ. And in just a few sentences, now he talks about one who loves the world. A reminder to us that you can't be in love with both. And Demas made his choice. He refused to stand with Paul in his love of the Lord and his love of the coming of the Lord and chose rather to move into the world and defect from the faith. Many have felt that he defected out of cowardice because of the regime in which they lived that he faced a point in time where he could not stand it any longer, and he said, it's not worth it, I'm quitting, I'm leaving. And he went back into his lifestyle away from the ministry. Anyone who has served with someone who has walked away from the cause can identify with the pain that Paul felt. Here was a man that he counted as an associate and a friend and a supporter and an encourager, and in the moment of his need, Demas walked away and left Paul alone. The disappointment of defection. During these days of ministry, it seems like hardly a week goes by that I don't hear of someone that I know in the ministry who has defected morally, spiritually. I cannot tell you what it feels like even when my friendship with those people is distant to sense the hurt of defection. I understand how Paul felt. But then we go on in the text and we learn that his disappointment is not only due to his discomfort in the cell and the detachment that he feels from all of his friends and the defection especially of Demas, but he mentions here another man by the name of Alexander and he tells us in his story the disappointment of difficulty. In verses 14 and 15, he talks about this man, Alexander, We don't know very much about him except that his trade was that of a coppersmith or a worker in bronze. But we don't know his identity. There are many people in the Bible named Alexander. In fact, in the first chapter of Timothy, 
There's a fellow in the 20th verse by the name of Alexander, but these cannot be the same people. Though we do not know his identity, and we cannot place him historically, we do know this, that he opposed Paul. In fact, the word that is used here to describe his opposition is literally a word which means to be an informer. And many feel that Alexander was the one who informed on Paul and caused him to be rearrested and put back in prison. But he was more than an informer because the scripture says that he opposed Paul in every way. He stood up and fought against him in what he was doing and would not stand with him. He was an enemy of Paul and an enemy of the gospel and an enemy of Christ. I read a few lines written by Charles McKay who asks some questions in poetic form. He says, you have no enemies, you say? Alas, my friend, the boast is poor. He who has mingled in the fray of duty that the brave endure must have made foes. And if you have none, small is the work that you have done. You've hit no traitor on the hip. You've dashed no cup from perjured lip. You've never turned the wrong to right. You've been a coward in the fight. You can't go through life without enemies if you stand for something. And Paul discovered it all along the way. Here was a man who had turned on him and opposed him and began to create difficulty for him. And that contributed to his despair. They say it's not supposed to bother you. I hear all of the sermons at the great pastors' conferences about how we move through difficulty victoriously and that church problems and difficulties with personal relationships are just opportunities for God to test us and to demonstrate how we can live above circumstances. And it sounds great, but I want to tell you something. When there are problems in the church and among personal acquaintances and involving people that I love and know, it doesn't feel good. I don't care what anybody says. And I can imagine how Paul felt when he knew that out there was an enemy. You know, let me just share something personally. You know what's the problem? The biggest problem with somebody like Alexander, the biggest problem is that the human mind works in such a way that when there's an Alexander, if you're not careful, he becomes the whole church. Did you know that? You forget that he's just one among many. And you dwell on him and you come to church and if he's sitting in the second to the back row, you can't see anybody except Alexander back there. And you may get letters of encouragement and handshakes of fond blessing, people patting you on the back and all you can think about is Alexander. That's the tool of the devil to discourage. You know what I've discovered? I've learned a little therapy in my own life. I discovered this one day when I was going through a similar problem and there was an Alexander who was giving me fits. And I was dwelling on him and one day, absent-mindedly, I pulled the church directory out of the drawer and I opened it up and I began to read through the church directory, one name after another. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that family. And thank you, God, for this person. Before I got done, I had a praise meeting in my study thanking God for all of the good people who weren't Alexanders. And I put him in perspective and got victory in my soul. But it's not easy to do. And I can imagine Paul sitting there in his cell and dwelling on the opposition that came to him from Alexander and feeling the hurt and discouragement and despair of it. Finally, there was the disappointment and desertion. 
Verses 16 through 18, Paul references his first defense. It is a reference to his first imprisonment and that proclamation of the word to the Gentiles. And in this context, it seems to refer to some event when he stood before in a preliminary defense. Now, Roman law would never have permitted Paul to employ an advocate or to call witnesses. But the scripture says that among all the Christians in Rome, there was not even one who would stand at his side in court, either to support him by a demonstration of sympathy or to help him and advise him in the conduct of his case. The scripture says, in my defense, no one stood with me. We don't know what Paul had been charged with. We do know from history that it didn't take much ingenuity on the part of the accusers to trump up interesting things against the apostles. Sometimes they were accused of atheism because they said they worshipped the idol of Christ. Sometimes they were accused of cannibalism because they ate the Lord's Supper. Whatever they needed to do, they trumped up charges. But when Paul stood to give an account of himself, there wasn't anybody there to help him and encouragement. I think we feel the loneliness of despair most of all in those moments of crisis when we can't find anyone. It's one thing to move along in life and feel somewhat lonely in the routine of day-to-day living, but when we stand in the place of crisis and great decisions weigh heavy upon us and we need someone to help us and no one is there, those are lonely moments. And Paul described that in these words. This standing before the defense by himself had to have been Paul's Gethsemane experience. It reminds us much of the words of Christ where we read about his friends that they all forsook him and fled. So these are lonely, discouraging, despairing words from the victorious apostle. Can you put that together? Can you handle that? I hope I haven't destroyed all of 2 Timothy by these honest words from the last chapter. Friends, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where it's at. But I don't want to leave you there. Because inevitably as we study the Word of God, the seeds of the answer are found in the problem. And as we read through this last chapter, we find some very interesting insights into how we deal with discouragement and despair and disappointment in our own lives. First of all, sometimes there are physical encouragements. Isn't it interesting that one of the things Paul says in this last chapter in verse 13 is that he would like to have his coat? Or you say, what in the world does he want his coat? Well, let me remind you that Paul is a human being and he's cold. It's cold in that Roman cell. And he asks for that outer garment that they wore in those times, which is sort of like a huge, heavy outer garment that keeps you from the penetrating cold of the winter where he was. And so Paul felt the need of the extra warmth of that coat. And he specifically says, please bring my coat. I think it's an interesting reminder to us that sometimes the needs that need to be met by us in the lives of other people are just physical needs. We just need to reach out to them and help them where they're hurting. I was reminded of James chapter 2 where we read these words, If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things that are needful to the body, what doth it profit? 
And I can't help but think that if Paul had been experiencing what he was experiencing today and had sent word to the church, we would have promised him to put him on the prayer list on Wednesday night, but nobody would have taken him a coat. Because so often we take the needs that are on the physical realm and we elevate them to the spiritual realm and we just shoot right over the top of them when they never get met. Well, I know that's a generality and that's not true for everybody, but it's true for many of us. Uh, and the Bible has a lot to say about that. It says if somebody comes to you and asks for your help and you don't help them, how can you say you love them? Um, that's what we learn from this experience in Paul's life. Well, we're going to take a break uh, for the weekend. I hope you are already back in the routine of going to church. I've been kind of riding on that pretty hard, telling everybody it's time to get back. And I hope you're ready to get back in church if you're not already there. Uh, we also provide uh, nourishment on the weekends through our television program. It's available everywhere in the country. If it's on during the time when you should be in church, DVR it and watch it later. And um, we uh, really believe that God is using the local church to make a difference. You need to be a part of your church. Turning Point is not your church. It is an encouraging ministry to move you in the direction of your local assembly. Don't forget also, we have a book we want to send you during the month of August. It's the book, God Has Not Forgotten You. It's a 190 pages, hardcover, 10 chapters. Gives you comfort and encouragement when you might feel alone. It's the most beautiful book we've ever created. It's a beautiful gift book. We want you to have it. Just ask for it when you send your gift today to Turning Point. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current series, Overcoming Loneliness, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's reassuring new book, God Has Not Forgotten You a comforting reminder that God is working all things together for your good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Overcoming Loneliness, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. 
That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. A great preacher of a prior generation, Donald Gray Barnhouse, said this about preparation. If I had only three years to serve the Lord, I would spend two of them studying and preparing. Think about the example that Jesus set. He spent three years training his disciples before sending them out into the world. In our day, it seems that preparation is often overlooked. We are so eager to get on with life that we often overlook the preparation that would make us far more effective. And on a daily basis, I can think of no more important preparation than prayer. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover the ways God makes us effective on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.